Let's bow our heads for a moment. God, thank you for this opportunity to be here. Uh, we ask, oh God, that you would do um, what you are capable of doing. And as my sister prayed earlier, that's exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or imagine according to the power that's already at work in us. So, so consecrate us now to thy service, Lord, by the power of grace divine. May our souls look up with a steadfast hope and our wills be lost and dying. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Chris, I actually don't need this. I'm going to give this back. I'm using a paper Bible today. Um, Y'all pray for me. Pray for me. Um, um, oh, and I, I told myself, uh, there's an, I have a bunch of friends that hang out at City Fellowship. Uh, I don't know how I picked them up as friends, but I just acquired them while being here in Jackson. Um, uh, my sermon notes, uh, I typically, I'll tell you a, a little bit about my sermon writing process. So my sermons typically start as uh, thoughts uh, that I scratch on toilet paper or a napkin um, or some slip of paper. Um, but um, somewhere I was at a leadership uh, retreat and um, an individual who was leading the retreat gave me a handy uh, notepad. It's a, it's a piece of advertisement for their business, but it is a really good preaching uh, notepad. So, Matt, thank you so much for this. Where did Matt go? Uh, Y'all know Matt Altabell? Yeah. This is his. He, he gave me. Matt, do you see this? This is like the best preaching note journal. I don't know that that's what you intended it to be, um, but you should market them as that. So they're great. Uh, it's great. Still, I appreciate it. That's what I was going to tell you. Thanks so much. I use it all the time. Um, <clears throat> there's a passage of scripture that I want us to look at together. Um, and it's going to frame our thoughts for this morning. So it comes from uh, the Old Testament passage, Old Testament book of Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah chapter 6 is where I'd like us to find ourselves. <clears throat> when you have it, say amen. Wonderful. If you don't have it yet, say Bible study. <laughs> Amen. Amen. If, yeah. I'm okay. If you're still saying Bible study, elbow your neighbor and say, help me. Um, I'm, I am excited to be back here uh, at City for many reasons, uh, and I have so many thoughts and feelings rushing through me at once. Uh, the first thought I had is, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. I said, that's why they invited you back, Freeman. Just try. <laughs> Keep trying until you say something. <laughs> um, Isaiah 6 and I'm going to read uh, the entire chapter. Uh, hopefully in my reading the entire chapter, nor it'll make up for whatever you don't get in preaching later, okay? So just Isaiah chapter 6. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, 
of the text. So it may sound different from yours, but it is nonetheless the word of God. I hope you're comfortable. Uh, if you have a device, there's a couple things I want you to highlight as I read. Uh, if you have a paper Bible like I do, there's a couple things I want you to just kind of mark. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting up on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe <clears throat> filled the temple. Above him stood six seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. Highlight that verse. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongues from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. Highlight that. And he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their eyes, their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste and the Lord removes people far away. And the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is failed. The holy seed is its stump. Highlight that last part. For a few moments this morning, I'd like for us to have a conversation about uh, this thought. A voice, a vow, and victory. A voice, a vow, and victory. <clears throat> Isaiah 6 is probably one of the most familiar passages of Scripture because of the image that's shared with us in the opening lines of verse six, chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I also saw the Lord, and the Lord was high and lifted up. An amazing image here 
that the writer of the text literally says, at a moment in time, I saw an image of the Lord's glory. The thing that we pursue in worship, the, the, the object or the aim of all of our pursuits as believers is that at some point in our lived experience, we too would be able to testify, I also saw the Lord high and lifted up. Can you imagine what this image and experience must have been like for the writer here in this portion of Isaiah to literally find yourself transported from your earthly dwellings into a divine space, the Shekinah glory of God whereby you literally see the object of our worship. That our eyes then are filled and our hearts are consumed and our bodies yet tremble and our voices are lifted as we sing with the angels, holy, holy, holy. The Lord of hosts, heaven and earth are full of thy glory. Can you imagine? I love a worship experience when literally I have nothing left to say. I have nothing left to do but lift my hands and think about how amazing it is to be in the presence of God. Everyone comes seeking this moment and in the moment when the writer has this, this revelation of the Lord, it says that literally in that moment it saw not only the Lord but the Lord was high and lifted up. And, and, and the train, its train filled the temple. There were angels or seraphim there with six wings. Two, they covered their faces. Two, they covered their feet. Two, they flew. And even in that moment, as they are yet celebrating, it says that the voice of the Lord spoke. The introductory part of the text in chapter 6 is a marker of time. In the year that King Uzziah died is not so much so an affirmation of who Uzziah was, but so that we might mark time. So that we might comprehend the context of what's happening or transpiring here in Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died gives us a particular time in the life and history of the children of Israel. Here Uzziah had been a ruler, had been ruling over the southern kingdom of Judea. And in that moment when he was ruling it was a prosperous time. It was a prosperous time during Uzziah's reign. There were persons who literally knew themselves as moving from poverty to a position of abundance. There were literally waterways developed. There were literally new relationships and, and, and relationships developed and fostered between places. New lands were conquered during Uzziah's reign. In the moment that Uzziah was reigning, everyone knew themselves as being the children of God, chosen by God in a blessed place, in a blessed land, living out the purposes of God. But then Uzziah died. 
Uzziah died. And at the moment that Uzziah died, much like the, the tragic history of the children of Israel at the death of a leader, at the death of a king, at the death of a ruler, it was immediately followed by times of turmoil. It was followed by times of turmoil as the children of the king, as the cousins and nephews and other rulers who were looking for that same position of privilege then began to fight and began to de devastate or destroy the things that were built. In that moment that King Uzziah died, it was prophesying a word that says we were literally preparing to go from a place of abundance to a place of famine. In the year that King Uzziah died, it was the moment when people's hopes began to fall. In the year that King Uzziah died, it was the moment when people were not experiencing the prosperity that they once knew. Their retirement had then gone short. They knew that their insurance premiums were going to go up and the coverage was going to go down. They knew at that moment the cost of gas was going to go up. They knew at that moment the cost of groceries was going to go up. They knew at that moment the cost of their safety was going to go up. They knew that they were in a vulnerable place. No one wants to go from abundance to poverty. That's not the image of success. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Isn't it amazing that oftentimes when we gather a vision of the Lord, it's not when we're at the top of the mountain, but when we're at the bottom of the valley. Isn't it interesting that when we also see the Lord, it's not when all is going well in our life, but when we are struggling, trying to find our way, when we're trying to figure out how we're going to make it from one semester to the next is when we then also see the Lord. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord catch this in the text. It literally says there, and the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke, a voice. The amazing thing about hearing the voice of God is that it shakes the foundations upon which you stand. Pastors, I come to remind you of that moment when you heard the voice of God. When you heard the voice of God and it literally disrupted everything you had going on in your life. You literally felt the foundations of not just the room. It wasn't a casual tremor. It wasn't one of those small tremors, a category one, whereby there's just a slight rumble and then things begin to shift from left to right. No, the word says that the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of God. When you hear the voice of God in an authentic way, it shakes the foundations of who you are, how you know yourself. No one has heard the voice of God and remained the same. That's why I questioned some people who claim to have heard the voice of God but yet still function the same way they did before they heard the voice. When you hear the voice of of God your life can never be the same there should be a shifting in how you function there should be a shifting in how you worship there should be a shifting in how you live you ought to be as the old saints used to say able to look at your hands and they look new you ought to be able to look at your feet and they do too you hear the voice of God and the foundation changes you ought to not be able to live the same way when you hear the voice of God. If you used to be someone who was comfortable arguing and raising all kinds of 
hell. In that moment you hear the voice of God, you ought to become uncomfortable in what was once comfortable. That's why even not only in our personal lives must we hear the voice of God, but institutions need to hear the voice of God. They need to hear the voice of God. And when we hear the voice of God, things like slavery becomes uncomfortable. Things like oppression become uncomfortable. Things like poverty become uncomfortable. Things like systemic injustices become uncomfortable. If we were to hear the voice of God, someone's child being shot or marginalized should make you uncomfortable. Healthcare being unaffordable should make you uncomfortable because you've heard the voice of God. Shakes the foundations of the threshold on which you stand. Literally, there is a voice from God. I heard also the voice of God. And in that moment when you hear the voice of God, notice the response. Woe is me. I am undone. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell amongst the people with unclean lips. When you hear the voice of God, not only must there be a moment when you give God glory, when you give God praise, but every now and then when you come into the house of the Lord to worship, your immediate response ought to be, Lord, I'm not worthy to be here. Lord, I'm not worthy to be here because what you called, I fell short. When you asked me to go, I was hesitant. When you told me to reach out my hand, I didn't extend my hand. When you told me to be your voice, I kept quiet. When you told me that I could, I said I couldn't. When you told me that I was the head and not the tail, I treated myself as if I was less than. When you told me, God, that I was going to be able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I could ever ask, imagine, or think according to the power that was already at work in me I marginalized and made myself comfortable with being mediocre in that moment when you hear the voice of God and the foundations have shifted your first response yes ought to be I give God glory but you ought to also say God forgive me forgive me God because I've not done the things that you've called me to do Every now and then when you come into this place to worship God and we're asking God to meet us in this place. Pastors, not only ought we to look for a moment when everyone is on their feet shouting with their hands lifted, but we ought to look for some moments of lamentation, some moments of weeping, some moments where we're saying, God, help us because we've fallen short. And what I love about the text is when we call, the Lord answers. When we are in need, God provides, even though his lips was unclean he provided the provision so that he might be atoned for he provided exactly what he needed I don't know what it was like to feel the cleansing power of the Lord in that moment for the writer but every now and then in my life when I fall short and I lift my hands in worship and say God I need you it's good to know that God meets me where I am is there anybody in here this morning that can testify I came in just as I was and God met me where I was and made me better for it. That was a voice. And in the moment when the Lord's voice spoke and when we were cleansed, the Lord asked one of the most favorable and yet fearful questions I've ever heard. Look at the text. 
Verse 8, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. I've never been married in my life. But unfortunately, I've had the pleasure of facilitating many funerals. I mean, weddings. <laughs> You'll get that in a moment. It was funny. I saw some couples kind of. There's a moment in a wedding ceremony when the officiant says, that you're supposed to turn to your partner. For better or worse, for richer or poor, in sickness and health, till death do you part. I remember the first time I facilitated a wedding and I heard myself reciting this passage and asking the persons who were standing there to repeat after me. I remember it because in that moment, I remember looking in the eyes of this young couple who I had sat down and had conversation with only weeks prior. I knew their troubles, knew their troubles and their trials, and was watching them as they were preparing to take this vow. They literally, in all of their fear and trembling, stood there and said to each other, by faith, for better or worse, sickness and health for rich or poor till death do us part. The life of the pastor is much like the one who stands before the altar and takes that vow. And I want to, sh I'm sharing this so that, so that those who are here might understand the context, not only of what's happening here in Isaiah as he's being commissioned and accepting the commission, but also what happens in the life of pastors who accept the commission and hear and respond to the voice of God. They literally are taking a vow. They're literally taking a vow that says, in early mornings and at late nights, in my sickness and in my health, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, I shall be faithful to what God is calling me. And it's an amazing vow to take because at the moment when the bride and the groom or partners are standing taking this vow, it's not only those two persons who are affirming a journey that they are committing themselves to, but the family is committing themselves to the journey as well. That's why in wedding ceremonies, we asked friends and families and witnesses to be there so that they too might participate in the vow that's being taken. In pastoral ministry, it's the same. It's a vow that's taken between not only the pastor, but also his partner. The pastor then takes this vow that says, in good days and bad days, I'm going to say what God told me. In moments when I'm healthy and in moments when I'm failing, I'm going to ask 
ask God to keep me so that I'm faithful to what I said. In these moments, I lift your pastors because they were courageous enough to take a vow. They literally took a vow that says, I'm going to be with you when your attitude is ugly and when it's good. You ever been there when, when in one moment you saw a member going off on the pastor because the pastor didn't do what they wanted them to do. And then in the next moment they said, Pastor, but can you pray for me? You ever been there when you, when you let the pastor down because the pastor didn't go the direction that you wanted them to go. But the next moment you were saying, God, I need my pastor to be at my bedside because I'm falling in my faith and I need someone to pick me back up. You ever seen it in those moments when, when you didn't have and you didn't give because of something that was internally struggling with you but then your expectation was that your pastor would keep giving whether they were full or empty it's a vow not only is there a voice but there's a vow this vow is a vow that not only comes to the pastor but it comes to the congregation the congregation you have a vow when you gave the Lord your hand and you said that you wanted to be a follower of Christ when you said that God did something in your life and that you wanted to follow him, you were making a vow. You are making a vow that says even when my ministry is uncomfortable, even when my words are uncomfortable, I'm still going to go. Everybody wants to be the ministry leader when things are going well. Everybody wants to be Moses on the way out of the wilderness. They do. Everybody wants to be the one that's standing up before Pharaoh. Let my people go. They, they want to be the one that throws down the rod and it miraculously transforms into a viper. Everybody wants to be the one who triumphantly is standing before the Red Sea, stretching forth their arm, allowing the waters to part, people walking over on dry ground, you turning back around, lifting your hands, and then the water comes back over your enemy. Everybody wants to be Moses on the way out of Egypt. Everybody wants to be Joshua on the way into the promised land. We shout about it. Lord, just make me a Joshua type of leader that leads people into the promised land. Everybody wants to be Jesus at the moment when he is at the wedding in Cana and Galilee. They want to be Jesus when he's multiplying two fish and five loaves of bread. They want to be Jesus when he's walking on water. Nobody wants to be the one that's there in the garden. Praying prayers. My God, why does it feel like I'm struggling? Is there some way that you could let this, this trouble, this trial pass me? Everybody wants to be the leader, but if you look in those moments of prosperity, but if you look at Isaiah when he accepts his commission, the words that he is to share are not words of comfort, but words of calamity. Look at the text. Look at the text. The text is clear. God says, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the hearts of this people dull and their eyes heavy and blind their eyes. Lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I say, Lord, how long am I going to have to struggle in this kind of ministry? How long are we going to have to wonder if we have enough money to cover the light bills, pay all of the salaries, and then able to do it? 
be able to do ministry outside in the community? How long are we going to be struggling through theological differences? How long are we going to be struggling trying to find enough time to balance between church and family? How long are we going to be struggling so that we might know ourselves as being healed and delivered? How long will I stand and see empty seats and not full seats? How long will I stand and wonder if I've gone in the right direction or if I've made a wrong left turn? How long, God, will I struggle? But in that moment, there's a, not only there's a voice and a vow, but there's a word of victory. The end of the text, it says, even after destruction, even after the tree has been cut and burned again, the holy seed remains in the stump. I'd almost missed it the many times that I read Isaiah 6. I'd, I'd almost missed it. I said, how in the world would anyone want to sign up for pastoral ministry in a season? In a season, oh God, in a city where we're struggling to find our own identity, who would want to sign up for a ministry? that's called city fellowship and we're trying to figure out how to even define fellowship. How to, who would want to sign up for a ministry when people are trying to figure out do I hold on to the traditions of the past or go in the direction that God seems to be calling us? How long in these moments will I struggle? Who would want to sign up for this? But there's a word. The word says that there is a holy seed that remains in the stump. I grew up in Arkansas. I grew up in Arkansas, in Little Rock, Arkansas. And as much as Little Rock, Arkansas is a city, I was a product of two country, two, two country parents. My father grew up in a small country community, farming community called Union Chapel. So what my father did when we moved to Little Rock, he bought half the block, he tore down the houses on two of them, plowed it up, and then planted a garden in the middle of the city. I was traumatized as a child traumatized as a child because everybody else was riding bikes while I was plowing rows. Everybody else was playing outside, playing football, but I had a fork, a hoe, and a tiller in my hands. Everybody else is always trying to get excited about going home, but even now, at 38 years old, when I go home, there's a chainsaw waiting for me. There's a fence row that needs to be cleared. There's something that needs to be done in that moment. Last year, my father, my father had me cut down what was an overgrown chaneyberry tree. Anybody knows anything about chaneyberry trees? Overgrown chaneyberry trees can have some pretty twisted and thick stumps. My father had this overgrown chaneyberry tree for at least 50 years. And he said to me, Freeman, I've got a simple task for you when you get home. A simple task. I thought to myself, what's a simple task? He says, well, first we're going to have to go to Lowe's. I was like, why do we have to go to Lowe's for a simple task? There's nothing at Lowe's that has simple task written on it. My father says, well, we may not go to Lowe's. We'll probably just go to Home Depot. Pops, if you're rethinking Lowe's for Home Depot, this task is getting worse. He says, well, Home Depot has a chainsaw rental, and I need to get a chainsaw bigger than the one I already have. At that very moment, I was depressed. I was thinking that I was going to go have lunch with a few friends. There's a nice downtown district in Little Rock that I was going to hang out in, but I knew my whole weekend was now gone. 
We get to Home Depot. When we get to Home Depot, I'm looking at the small chainsaw. I need the one that's just not going to be too burdensome on myself. I'm thinking of myself at this moment. I'm not thinking of my father and mother who are aging. I'm not thinking of their care. I'm only thinking of my own self. I'm thinking of myself as a selfish moment. I know it. God, forgive me, Father. Forgive me in this moment. I told you, I still need the Lord. In that moment, God, I got to the chainsaw. He says, yeah, that one seems good. I said, pops, but it's heavy. It's really, really heavy. I said, I'm only going to be able to use it for a few hours. He says, good, because Home Depot only lets us rent it for a few hours. The man pulls out the chainsaw. Then my dad says, we probably need to get some headphones, a visor, some goggles, and some chaps to go with it. Remind me to show you the photo on my Facebook page of me tackling this tree. The tree required not only a chainsaw, but we needed a truck, a chain, and some other things to bind it so that it wouldn't fall in our neighbor's yard. My dad has a neighbor. You all pray for her. He's still delivering her. Anytime something falls in her yard, she calls city code enforcers. If it had been a small acorn that fell from a tree, it would have been a code enforcement violation. It took me all day to cut this tree down. I was excited that the tree was down. Excited because it at least afforded some opportunity for us to say we'd accomplished another task. The cleanup process was even more taxing than cutting down the tree. It's like that in our lives, particularly the lives of ministry the life of the pastor. It's not just the cutting down that's work, but the cleanup is difficult. It's not just following God that's tough, but trying to minister to families after we followed God that's tough. And everything looks so devastated in the cleanup process. There's so much trauma, so many small things. And even after it's done, the perspective on things is so different. That was a year ago. I went back a few weeks ago. And I thought to myself, well, let me go and figure out what's going on in my dad's garden. And where there was a stump. There were now fresh green shoots everywhere. That's the victory of God. City Fellowship, even through what feels devastating, if you're rooted in God, if you've allowed your roots to grow deep enough, if you've allowed your worship to be authentic enough, if you've allowed your love to be pervasive enough, if you've allowed your hospitality to not just be a sign on the window, but something that ushers forth from your heart, if you've allowed yourself to encounter God in worship where we're not just looking for prosperity, but we're looking for liberation, 
if you've allowed yourself to dig so deep that you touch literally the fresh flowing streams of God, if you allow yourself to meet God every time you get to a family or community group, if you allow yourself to meet God when you shake the hand of a stranger, if you allow yourself to meet God every time, not only when you open the doors, but when you go out the doors, if you allow yourself to meet God, something new will be born. What was a city fellowship will now become literally a city inhabiting. It will become the kingdom of God. It will literally be the place that we invite God to encounter us when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what your pastors are praying for. They're not just praying for more people. They're praying that you might see God. They're praying that your life might be changed. They're praying that your city might be changed. A voice, a vow, and there shall be victory. Bow your heads with me for a moment. I need you to hear the voice of God again. I know you were hoping that your ministry was going to take place, or that your job was going to take place, or that your family was going to be living in a moment of prosperity, but sometimes things are difficult. And what I need you to do is I need you to hear God's voice again. Reminding you that he's high and lifted up. The beauty of the text is that when the verses says that he's high and lifted up, it's to remind us that though others might be lifted, they're not high and lifted up. It's a reminder that God is, is, is Adonai, that the Lord is Adonai, that the Lord is literally the one that is high, that is lifted, that is all-powerful, that has the possibility, that has the promise, that has the, the capability, that desires to bless. I need you to hear that voice of God from deep within your spirit again, reminding you of why you came and set out on this mission, reminding you of the call that he placed in your life reminding you why he purposed you to be here in this place at this time that's not just for the pastors but that's for everyone here God called you here to this place there's a reason God wanted you to be here and I need you to hear God's voice again you left a place for a reason because something was in the way and God needed you to be here in this season and God wants to strengthen you the voice says a simple phrase everything is going to be alright that's what the word the voice is though you may feel weak everything is going to be alright hear the voice again and I need you to make a vow again I need you to recommit yourself to going when the call comes who shall I send? I need you to say, Lord, send me. 
If that's you, I feel your presence here today. If, 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 you, if, you, if you know you need to recommit yourself, you may have fallen short. You may have been distracted by other things, but you've, you're clear God called you and you know you need to make this vow. It's like renewing your wedding vows on your 25th anniversary, like renewing your vows on your 50th anniversary. It's that moment where you remind yourself, God, you made me brand new and I'm recommitting myself. If that's you, can you just wave your hand real quick? I see you. I see you. I see you. I see you, and what's even better is the Lord sees you. Recommit yourself to this vow. And though things may seem dark, I need you to know that there's victory. There's victory. There's victory. If our musicians will come just for a moment, I want to I just offer you all the opportunity just to make that commitment to, to, this, to this ministry, to this space, to your life, to fulfilling what God has called you to do. I just want to give you that moment. Just to recommit yourself. Do me a favor, wherever you are in the congregation, can you just find you two or three people real quick? If you're, if you're able, if you're able, can you just reach out and grab the hand just for a moment? Just reach out and grab their hands. Just reach out and grab their hands for a moment. Just reach out and grab their hand for a moment. In the year, in the year that I let my fear die, in the year that I let my shame and guilt go, in the year, in the year that I understood that God had already forgiven me, I just had to forgive myself, in the year. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. In the year that injustice died. In the year that oppression did not win. In the year. In that year, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. I'm not sure what it is in your life and you may not be sure of what it is in your neighbor's life but in that moment can right now while you're holding their hand can you pray that it's that year for them that this is the moment when they see the Lord high and lifted up in their life so that they might hear the voice of God again Can you just pray that prayer now? If you're comfortable, pray out loud. Just... 
want them to hear the voice of God. Listen as you hear the whispers, the prayers being lifted. That's what it was like to be in the presence and to hear angels' voices crying, Holy, holy, holy God, I thank you. pray for your pastors. Can you pray for your church too? Just pray. Just pray that God would would allow this place to be what God called it to be. And if you're prepared to make your vow today, if you're prepared to make your vow today, If you felt God calling you, God's been nudging you. Look, 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 you know you need to make a commitment. You know you need to make a commitment. You know, you know you've been sitting on the fence. You've been straddling the fence for a while, but you need to make this commitment. I don't know what your commitment is. It may be your first time committing your life to Christ. If that's you, you should come. If you've never made a commitment to Christ, if you, if you felt God keeping you, you felt God protecting you, and you're clear at this very moment that what you received was a revelation of Christ, you should come. You should come. Look, I love this. I love the fact that it, you don't have to have it all worked out. You've just got to be willing to start the process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't have to be perfect. Watch us wave our hands. If you know you're not perfect, but God is still working with you every day, but you made a commitment, you made a vow a long time ago, just wave your hand. Encourage your neighbor if that's you you should come if you've been looking for a place to call your own what I love about this passage is that that the holy seed remains in the stump but the stump has to be planted somewhere you've been drifting from one place to another but every time you come to city you feel the presence of God Every time you come to the city, you feel God moving in your life. Every time you come to the city, you, 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 things just seem to get a little bit clearer. If that's you, could you come? Say, look, I need to plant myself here. Here's the last one. If you need to renew your vows... You made a vow to the Lord a long time ago. Go, Lord, Lord, I'll say what you want me to say. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do the things you want me to do. And you made that vow years ago. You may have made that vow years ago, but for some reason or the other, you allowed time and circumstance to draw you away from the vow that you made. Here's what I love about God. God is always standing with God's arms wide open, welcoming you home. Not concerned about where you've been. Not concerned about what you've done. Not concerned about how you got there, but just saying welcome back to the place that you can call your own. Welcome back to love. Welcome back to forgiveness. Welcome back to peace if that's you and you need to recommit yourself. You need to renew your vows to God. You can come too. You can come. 
Don't let my sister walk by herself. If that's you, yes, you know that's you. You ought to come with her. You ought to come with her. You ought to say, you know what I love about this? Everybody could come every week. I could say, Lord, I fell short last week. I fell short last week, God, but I want to renew myself. I want to renew my faith walk. I want to renew my commitment to you. If that's you, you should come. You should come. You should come. We're welcoming you. You should come. You should come. I know you're here. You should come. You should come. You heard the voice of God. Renewing your vow and it speaks victory. God, we thank you. We thank you, God. 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 